getting off from Santa Fe. Question, I'm being down for the game. One shot deal don't matter. And the other one's the same. Oh, my friend, I see you. Watch it to come through. All right. I've been standing at the shadows of the street light, all turned blue. Leave one friend of mine, so case you're there. I saw brothers and sisters all on Atlantic Street. Screaming through the alleyway I can never know that crowd I can't Down the batteries I'm controlling And I wonder what folks are through
Well, hello, friends, brothers and sisters, children of God. Welcome back to Jack the Bridge. I'm here today uh, at this moment because you may hear the rain on the roof just over my head. I'm up in a loft in this old cabin I live in and uh, got hit with a storm maybe half an hour, a little more than that. Ago and um, I had been planning to work down the road a little further, but it was uh, to replace a big window and didn't want to open up a house and have a storm hit once I saw the forecast. So I st- I'm really glad I stayed close to home because I, I have a couple of um, continuative points uh, from the Red Network by Elizabeth. Dilling published in 1934, printed in the United States of America. The Red Network, again, is a who's who and handbook of radicalism for patriots. Um, I'm going to begin with the description, the the description of the ensuing chapter, which is really a breakdown of several different, very prominent individuals in the in the movement, in the Red Movement, the Communist Marxist Movement, and uh, this is really at the time of really the Great Depression, uh, or just after, and and as we've talked about, or you've can discern it's it's from 1934 so really just before roosevelt came in or and and or had been written just before he came in and 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 the new deal came in and there's other there are other readings that i and i will see where i get in terms of time but there are four different points that i want to highlight or read to you so Let's take this to the bridge. Who are they? Those who read newspapers these days without some knowledge of red propaganda and its propagandists miss much of the significance of what they read, lectures, forums, and debates advertised in such a way as to make it appear they are impartial educational entertainments of general public interest are the mediums constantly used for subversive propaganda among the intelligentsia. Stuart Chase, when he lectured before the Society Town Hall audiences, was advertised as an economist and author, not as a socialist propagandist and former associate of the Berkman anarchist gang. Scott Nearing, the communist mouthpiece of Moscow, is also referred to in the press as a lecturer and economist. In the press, notices announcing Horace Bridges as the speaker for a North Shore audience. His connection with the Ethical Society was emphasized, but no mention made of his connection with the communist-aiding American Civil Liberties Union. 
He is on the Chicago committee, which has been pushing suits against the city of Melrose Park because it's police, when attacked and defied by communist rioters, were forced to uphold law and order and use guns. If these suits are successful, no one will be safe, for naturally the police will not dare to interfere with communist agitators. The next really significant point I'm, I'm going to read to you is uh, at the end of the chapter that I just read you, the introduction of, and it's uh, getting back to this guy who's got a, had a, um, an alias, Red Ravinia, Carl Hessler was his name. And I read a bit from this chapter or this part of it uh, to you before in the Red Network 2 back in, in January. Um, but this here is the final three paragraphs about Hessler because it's about five pages devoted just to him and, and his affiliations and appearances. Um, this is pretty bold, and I guess this is Elizabeth Thilling writing from an autobiography, really having been there, and and it's uh, she's this this woman had some uh, definitely had some chutzpah and integrity and undeniable intelligence. So back to the bridge. During the question period, which followed Hessler's talk at the Ravinia Women's Club, I asked a question which showed my antipathy for Hessler's proposed revolution. The audience at once broke into a surging tumult of angry comment against me. Then, defying this hostility, I said, Oh, you have been listening to the insidious propaganda of the voice of Moscow, whose Government is attempting to overthrow our government, etc. Just as in Russia, you will be cut, you will be the class first to be murdered in the case of revolution here. This meeting is an insult to a loyal American citizen. Then, indeed, there was a near riot. The club president, Mrs. Robert L. Grinnell, wife of the president of the local school board, quieted the meeting momentarily by apologizing to Hessler. Most of the audience applauded this act vehemently. She then came to me and to you and to prominent members of patriotic organizations who were with me to criticize and to demand by what right we were there. I was the invited guest of two members, but I refused to divulge their names, feeling that they had been persecuted enough in Ravinia for their patriotic leanings. At Ravinia, once again, as in the Leavenworth prison revolt, Hessler led the majority almost without the knowledge of anybody but the leaders and their opponents. Listen to that again. At Ravinia, once again, as in the Leavenworth prison revolt, Hessler, in quotes, 
led the majority almost without the knowledge of anybody but the leaders and their opponents, period. This is a time when the entire world is feeling the unrest caused by the strikes, sabotage, and revolutionary activities of communists in India, Germany, England, South Africa, New Zealand, America, and so on. Wealthy Americans are now losing their fortunes, aging with worry, and turning to despair and to suicide. Every American is feeling the economic pinch caused by deflation and by the communist plan of economic unstabilization or, in quotes, plan of world revolution. The person who joins communists in accusing our capitalists of closing their factories and ruining themselves for the purpose of ruining the poor is either blind or willfully seditious. We do need the Jeffers and Bachman federal bills for our protection, but when loyal fighting Americans unite in insisting that our elected officials enforce the Illinois statutes covering sedition, when the organizations like the Ravinia Women's Club, YMCA, and the University of Chicago a hotbed of similar speakers, will lose their taste for hiring men of Hessler's caliber to preach revolution to audiences who are also held responsible under these laws for attending such meetings. The Illinois Criminal Code, Chapter 38, Sections 558 through 564 provides a penalty of one to 10 years in the penitentiary for advocating the overthrow of our government by unlawful means and a fine of 500 to a thousand dollars and imprisonment for six months to one year for knowingly attending a meeting at which such overthrow is advocated. Now, except for Maybe not, but obviously not being familiar with the names and a few of those dates that that uh, that I read to you, um, you know, and in the, the Illinois Criminal Code, the, the the fines have probably gone up, but maybe they've even gone down. Anyway, uh, I'm going to continue with another part of this, and it is called "I am not interested." Now. This is really, um, this is the page and a half or so, about two pages, before the bit that I read you in the last reading, and uh, and that was so-called pacifism, is it Christian or red? This is an account of some riotous activity. And if you did not know, once again, the date, the context of this is not so far off. I mean, this bridge, 90 years in time, man, it's like you could throw... What did Washington throw across? The, was it across the Potomac? 
Well, they say he threw a silver dollar. I, I, well, anyway, some of these stories are pretty nice. So, here we go. I am not interested. Police line the streets when the red flag is paraded down the streets of Chicago. In defiance of the Illinois sedition law, any week one may attend immense revolutionary red meetings which are given ample police protection. In fact, the Daily News last year reported that the only unseemly incident in one communist parade was when a red flag was snatched from the hands of a marcher by a bystander, but that it was quickly restored to the red by the police. The Chicago Police Department granted a permit for a parade Sunday, December 17th, 1933, of loyal Ukrainian Americans who, after a service in their church, wished to march in a hall, to a hall, to hold a meeting and raise funds to try to save their relatives in the Russian Ukraine, now being, in quotes, liquidated, deliberately starved to death by the Soviet government. Even pro-Soviet news reporters estimate the deaths by such starvation during the last year as numbering in the millions. While the American communist press maintains that such liquidation of bourgeois elements who object to Soviet tyranny and destruction of religion must go on until Russia is a in quotes, pure communist state. Dr. Emil Tarnowski, loyal American citizen and president of the affiliated Ukrainian American Societies of Chicago, with some 10,000 members, also Lieutenant Nelson E. Hewitt, warned the Chicago Police Department asked for special police protection for this parade and told them that a secret meeting of the Reds had been held to plan an attack on the parade and that Dr. Tarnowski and many of his people had been personally threatened with death if they marched. But only two policemen were with the 3,000 Ukrainian-American marchers at the time the Reds attacked them by first throwing communist leaflets from above, then, as they looked up, throwing down bricks in their faces from an elevated station platform. Hundreds of communists along the sidewalk simultaneously rushed in from both sides and assaulted them with iron pipes, tools, brass knuckles, etc. They tore the American flag to pieces, and about 100 were injured. I personally saw many bandaged heads at the Ukrainian meeting which I addressed. Dr. Tarnowski received a severe leg injury and for it some time was unable to walk. The communist daily worker reported the attack jubilantly as a communist 
triumph. Judge Gutnecht, see Robert Morse Lovett in Who's Who, who heard the cases the next day was reported in the press as criticizing the police for having only arrested communists and not the Ukrainians whom they attacked as well. When their cases were tried, only two received 10 and two received 30 days in jail for this bloody attack. When 16 of us, including Mrs. Tarnowski, as a delegation representing various patriotic societies, called upon Chief of Police Ullman the following Tuesday and laid the facts before him, I attempted to show him a copy of, in quotes, the Red Front of USA, in quote, a communist revolutionary military publication which boldly lists recruiting stations in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, etc., where Reds are urged to sign up for military training for just such attacks and in order to give the police, in quotes, their due in strikes and riots to in quotes, open food storage places and says, in quotes, any day may be the beginning of the revolutionary struggle and that, in quotes, the dashing to pieces of the whole apparatus of government is in the period of revolutionary uprising, thus easier to accomplish. The Chicago office, 101, at Southwell Street, room 707. <laughs> this is great. This is me. This is great how they do this. All of a sudden, they give you an address of like exactly where these people meet. Sometimes even uh, the, the times that they meet and what day of the week. Meets at 2322 West Chicago Avenue, near where the attack occurred. Chief Allman said, we have recognized those people now. We have not recognized the overthrow of this government. He refused to look at this red publication saying very coldly, I am not interested. While Chief Allman has been often praised by radicals and by the 1932 report of the Red Aiding Chicago Civil Liberties Committee, for his enlightened attitude toward, in quote, civil liberties for communists. Some of us are still interested in civil liberties for Americans, in the protection of the American flag, and the enforcement of the Illinois state sedition law. The attorney for the Ukrainian Americans called upon the federal authorities the same day and was told that they are no longer interested in communist activities. Is anyone interested? Are you? What are you going to do about it? The, the final uh, two-page excerpt I am about to read to you um, is entitled... The New Deal and Roosevelt Appointees. Um, 
the really fun part about this, and I we're drifting further away, well, from discussion directly about faith, but really the interlinking of of uh, well, part of the reason that I wanted to break this down into a few different readings um, because there's so much detail. And wait till you hear what different senators um, are citing regarding constitutional violations and the skewing, as we were hearing just in the last uh, excerpt of of justice or the uneven hand of justice. Uh, not so far away. <laughs> not so far away from a lot of the news today, huh? 90, I mean a solid 90 years, huh? And yeah, really cool. I bet most of you, I think, are probably a little older than me or my age and some of you are a bit younger and and some around my age I'm pushing 56 and uh and I'm truly thankful to God who uh in the form of my my 85 year old mom uh handed me this carton of, of books that had belonged to her father and uh what a time to have been have been uh awarded <laughs> The, these the this carton of books that I guess had been in my uncle's possession, and I think I lost we lost him fifteen or so years ago, and uh, I guess my aunt handed this this dusty old pile of books off, and they this one is absolutely priceless. So back to the bridge, let's take it. The New Deal. And Roosevelt appointees. The average brainy American businessman whose capable, concentrated efforts have raised the American standard of living to a preeminent place in the world's history feels that he is too busy running his own business to bother with politics. He wants and quotes George to do it. And a red George has been working to do it and do him out of his business for a long time. Only perhaps when red George and his political cronies step in to completely run his business for him, will he awaken to find time to attend to politics. Mr. Successful American bountifully endows colleges teaching socialism and supports ministers teaching socialism, but objects to voting for a crack-brained radical on the socialist ticket, as the radicals know, so they arrange matters so that he votes for the crack-brained socialist on a conservative ticket. The Conference for Progressive Political Action, C, since 1922, has been successfully boring from within to steal elections for radical candidates. They are organizing more energetic and deceptive programs for future elections right now. All right, just an aside, this is me, okay? 
Listen, did you just hear that date? Since 1922, the conference for progressive political action has been successfully boring from within to steal elections for radical candidates. They are now organizing more energetic and deceptive programs for future elections right now. Now, this was published in 1934. So this is someone who is really trying to drop the ball on or really wake everyone up that this has been going on for a whole 12 years. Think of that. Back to the book. Americans who are alarmed at the present socialist administration labeled as democratic may easily turn out Democrats and vote in Republicans at the next election. But not many of the elected Republican officials will be radicals of the same stripe. I've got to reread that. Americans who are alarmed at the present socialist administration labeled as Democratic may easily turn out Democrats and vote in Republicans as at the next election. But how many of the elected Republican officials will be radicals of the same stripe? Many of the radicals now making this democratic administration a socialist, the, the only one left the Republican Party during the last campaign at the invitation of Mr. Roosevelt, their kindred soul. While the radicals have a keenly organized, well-planned program, American conservatives have practically none. If they wait until election day, they may find themselves in the predicament of having a choice between Tweedledum and Tweedledee, between socialist, communist, democratic socialists, and Republican socialists, because the radicals are so active within both conservative parties and practical. Short-sighted politicians seem to believe that by compromising with them and pampering them, they are increasing the party's hopes of success. Marx versus Washington will be the real issue in the next election, and this issue transcends former partisanship. If the fight were clear-cut, Americanism would win with the people hands down. But a fight with radicals is a fight with snipers. They do not fly their true colors willingly. The only propaganda now dinned into an American's ears is that because of an emergency or collapse of capitalism, he must either accept socialistic measures or have communist dictatorship thrust upon him. This is socialist propaganda. 
Why does almost no one propagandize a return to Washingtonian principles which built this country's greatness? Bureaucracy and the load of governmental taxation have been steadily increasing of late years under socialist manipulation. Until under depressed trade conditions, business came nearly to a standstill. Now, inside of a few months, more billions in taxation have been heaped upon American taxpayers than our share of the cost of the world war. How many years will it take to pay off the present load of indebtedness, which this administration has only started to incur? During this process, the American taxpayer is apt to lose his property as the socialists intend that he shall. Between forfeited loans and heavy taxation, it is hoped to confiscate farms, homes, banks, and utilities by legal means. As communist V.F. Calverton says in Recovery Through Revolution, see, in quotes, what are the state practically supporting and subsidizing the industrial and financial setup of the nation by means of monies afforded by the Reconstruction Finance Corporation in time if such subsidies continue, and the railroads and industries which have accepted them cannot meet the obligations that they necessitate, there will be no other recourse than the state to take them over. William E. Sweet, whom the Conference for Progressive Political Action claimed credit for electing governor of Colorado, see who's who, is one of President Roosevelt's radical appointees in the public relations division of the NRA. He was very prompt in having published in the Daily News October 30th, 1933, his protest against a White Daily News editorial of October 26th. His was a lengthy letter that sent from Washington, D.C., in which he said, The editorial, Back to the Constitution, printed on the front page of the Daily News October 26th, would be highly important if it voiced the sentiments of any considerable, inarticulate body of citizens as the daily news seems to think it does. Has the time come in America when a man may not do as he pleases with his oil? It has, but this is clearly unconstitutional. The Constitution was based on security and privilege for the owners of property, but th this is no reason for confusing it with holy writ. If these revolutionary changes in our economic system work out satisfactorily, they will be found to be constitutional. When former President Hoover 
made his concluding speech in Madison Square Garden. He said, and quotes, this campaign is more than a contest between two parties. It is more than a contest between two men. It is a contest between two fundamentally different theories of government. Mr. Hoover rightly appraised the issues of the campaign. The people have placed their seal of approval for the present on the theory of the government advanced by Franklin D. Roosevelt, and they are following his leadership with loud acclaim. As yet, there is no sign of any diminution in his popularity. In quotes, the radicals you complain of have been chosen by the president. He may not agree with all their theories, but he would rather have their counsel, noise and all, than that of the traditionalists, money changers, and reactionaries who surrounded and dominated his predecessor, William E. Sweet, Washington, D.C. Senator Warren R. Austin of Vermont said, on September 18th, 1933, Chicago, American. Only one step further need be taken to destroy the Constitution and overthrow the government, namely to remold the judiciary. And Senator Henry D. Hatfield of West Virginia declared, Chicago Tribune, October 20th, 1933, in quotes, President Roosevelt's executive order threatening NRA violators with $500 fines and six months of imprisonment means that economic serfdom has become a grim reality in the United States. Well, that's about the end of the reading for today, but I'm going to climb down. Come on with me, and we'll go down. It is just hammering, and I'm looking outside. Man, here I go over the window. Nice, huh? Oh, I love it that I can get hunkered in up here, and man, just just soak in what God throws down at us, right? God went and asked St. Mike, he says, St. Mike, pull your finger out of the dike and break that sky open. Right. Woo! For he shall reign forever and ever. So a couple minutes later, it's still raining, and uh, if you will, bow your head with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So whatever you're doing today, wherever you find yourself, know that Jesus Christ loves you. And I do too. And enjoy the show. I'll tell you what. I'm keeping my head down and keeping busy with what I do. And sometimes I listen to music for most of the day. And sometimes I listen to... uh some other stuff, but I'm learning more and more and I haven't had a television for over two years, but I'm learning more and more to, to let go of some of these other things that so clear we don't have control over, right? We know who's running the show. Well, we've got to help do that, uh, through our intent and through following those, uh, Jesus, two commandments, right? Wake up. Love God with all your heart and soul. Thank God. For be thankful. Thanks be to God. And next, well, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Hey, get out there. Have a great day. If not, hey, have a day. Bye. Thank you so much for being here. Delaney and Bonnie and friends. Brother Dwayne Alvin here on slide. Two woman I know, two of my best friends. Some Joe got lucky, told about the kid. You better come up in my kitchen. If it's gonna be raining, I'll come. Mmm, she's gone. She won't come back. I took the land to go. I'll have a nation fast. Hear me. But you better come on in my kitchen. But there's going to be rain.